0: If you would join me in reading Luke fifteen, eleven through thirty two, and it is on page eight seventy four of the Bibles here. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later the younger son gathered all he had, and took a journey into a far country, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and
1: is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Isaac. If you'd like to keep that passage open in front of you, and we'll look at that together. Uh, also, just to say that uh, Laura, this was her last Sunday playing with us before she goes back to France uh, in July. So, I just want to say thank you to Laura for serving us so well. And uh, we'll be praying for you as you go back uh, to France. Okay, let's look at this passage together. Let's pray and uh, we'll look at it. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that as we spend time in it now that um, you would give us a a fresh glimpse of who you are, your character and your ways that it would cause us to, to long to know you more. And we pray that, Um, you would speak to us by your Spirit and uh, show us Christ. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen. Well, uh, with the rising cost of living, there has been a lot of talk about cancelling various streaming subscriptions. Uh, A few weeks ago, Netflix got the chop in our house, and I'm facing regular pleas for its return. Uh, When it comes to cancelling a service, there are some important factors to consider. Like, which shows uh, can I not live without? Uh, And maybe there are particular shows that you would find it hard to say goodbye to. Uh, Something that I've noticed is that every streaming service uh, seems to carry a show that has complex family dynamics related to a father figure. Uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, for the more sophisticated streamers, has This Is Us uh, and the lifelong impact that the father, Jacks uh, I won't spoil it, has on his children. Uh, Disney Plus has Star Wars. Uh, bear with me. Uh, when you think about it, it can't have been all that easy for Darth Vader to hear his son Luke deny him as a father while slashing with, at him with a lightsaber. Uh, And Netflix, of course, has Peppa Pig. Uh, I have great sympathy for Daddy Pig. He must be the most maligned father figure on television in recent years. Uh, Family complexity is a familiar narrative in our entertainment world. And that's because it's something that we can relate to, perhaps uh, maybe even in our own experience. Family relationships, they aren't always straightforward, are they? Sometimes they can be full of brokenness, uh, wrongs committed that have never been made right, bitterness, long-held grudges, lines crossed beyond the point of no return. And it was perhaps because it was easily relatable that Jesus' third parable in Luke chapter 15 was all about a family, specifically a father who had two sons. Two sons who rejected him in very different ways. And it's a story that he told to two groups of people who were gathered around him that day. Uh, we learned about them last week. They're, they're described in verse 1 to 2 of chapter 15. We read there, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So the first group of people, the tax collectors and sinners, we saw last week that they were the cancelled of society, those who had transgressed the moral law and who were seen as having no way back. They were shamed and shunned by those around them. Every day they had to live with the title of sinner and the disgrace that that brought. And then looking on disapprovingly were the religious leaders, the ones who were responsible in that society for doing the cancelling. They were the influencers of the day, the people that everybody else looked to to make sure that they were on the right side of history. And they certainly weren't impressed that Jesus would welcome sinners and eat with them. As far as they were concerned, Jesus was worthy of being cancelled as well. And so with these two groups of people around him, Jesus tells three parables. We saw last week uh, that a parable was a story that Jesus told to teach his listeners something about God. And the two parables that we looked at last week were all about God's heart for lost people, how he passionately, relentlessly seeks them out and then throws a party in heaven when they're found. And that theme of God's heart for the lost is here in this third parable that we're looking at this week. But this parable, it's a bit more developed. It's, it's not just about God's heart for the lost. It's also about the two ways that people can end up being lost. It's the story of two brothers and the two ways that they reject their father. And each brother represented each of the groups of people who were around Jesus that day. So Jesus begins by focusing on the younger brother. If you look with me at verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, Jesus' Jewish audience would have been aghast at this request. For a Jewish son to demand his share of the inheritance for no good reason before his father's death, that was a scandalous, a a shameful thing to do. It was as good as saying to his father, I wish you were dead. And, And yet this father... Despite the heartbreak that that would have caused him, and despite the public shame it would have brought to the family as the, the for sale sign went up on his younger son's portion of the property, the father, at great personal cost to himself, he gives the son what he asks for." And verse 13, "Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey to a far country. His response to his father's generosity, a generosity he certainly didn't deserve, was to get as far away from home as he possibly could, as soon as he could. And there, verse 13, he squandered his property in reckless living. This guy went away and he partied hard. He blew his father's hard-earned cash on a pursuit of pleasure. Jesus' audience would have known what reckless living meant. It meant living in ways that broke the moral law, that broke the Ten Commandments. Specifically, in this son's case, his money was being blown in an attempt to satisfy his lust. Later on in the story, in verse 30, the older brother condemns his younger brother for devouring the father's property with prostitutes. See, even though he'd run away to a far country, the stories were still getting back of just how morally repugnant, how shameful this guy's life had become. While the father grieved, the son partied. But the good time, it didn't last for a long time. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, for Jesus' Jewish audience, that would have been the worst job imaginable. Pigs were seen as unclean animals. So for a Jew... To have the job of feeding them, that really was the lowest of the low. This son, he found himself in a situation where everything had been stripped away. He had blown his inheritance, which meant he had no future prospects. He would have been considered unclean. And so he could not have observed the Sabbath, even if he wanted to to all intents and purposes, he had lost his identity as a Jewish man. And he was in such a desperate state that he longed to eat the slops in the pig's trough. And yet no one, we're told, gave him anything. At his lowest ebb in that far country, nobody looked out for him. He was totally and utterly alone. The pigs had it better than him. His identity, his future, his so-called friends, all were lost. He was lost. For his Jewish audience, Jesus could not have painted a more vivid picture of a lost person. If the son, that younger son, had been in the crowd that day, he would have been right in there amongst those tax collectors and sinners. Cancelled, shamed, disgraced. But at his lowest point, when it seemed like he had nowhere left to turn, he remembered his father. If you look with me at verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Isn't that incredible? Doesn't that tell you something beautiful about the father in this story, that the son who had wished his father dead, who had blown his inheritance, who had shunned him and shamed him, who had run as far away from him as he could, when he came to himself, he had hope that even after all that he had done, how he had sinned against him, the father might still accept him as a hired servant. For for this son to have any inkling at all that there might even be the slightest possibility of that, that tells you what a wonderful father this son must have seen as he grew up under his roof. To believe that even now, it was still possible for him to head for home. If his father had been harsh with him as he grew up, or if he'd been emotionally unavailable, or if he'd been constantly picking up on his faults and telling him that he needed to do better, well, then that son would have swallowed in that pigsty for the rest of his days. But this boy knew that his father was kind, that his father was generous, that his father was loving. And because he knew that, he believed that maybe, just maybe, his father would permit him to see out his days in the servants' quarters the wonderful thing here is that the father in Jesus' story is far kinder, far more generous, far more loving than his son could ever have hoped or imagined. If you look with me at verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So, so long before this boy ever reached home, his father saw him. He saw him. He'd been searching the horizon for a glimpse of his son, longing, praying that he would one day come home. This father, who had been brokenhearted, who had been shamed by his son's behavior, who would have been perfectly within his rights to condemn him and send him away. Instead, he felt compassion. And he ran to him. Something that would have been completely undignified for a man of his standing to do. He ran to him. And he embraced him. And he kissed him. His son was unclean in every sense. He was morally repugnant. And physically, he would have been absolutely stinking, enough to make you wretch. But his father didn't care. He grabbed him tight and he kissed him. And as his son begins to recite his plan to live as a servant, the father, he won't hear any of it. He's too busy giving instructions to his servants, instructions that are all about restoring this boy, not as a servant, but as a son, as his cherished son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. All of those things are clear markers to everyone that this boy was not to be treated as a slave. He was a son. And there was nothing about this son's return that was going to happen quietly. The father orders the servants, verse 23, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. The fattened calf was saved for only the most special occasion. Now, up to this point in its life, that calf had been living it up. He had been lavished with the best grazing, regular belly rubs, and serenaded with classical music. He was living his best life now. But that day its life came to a very abrupt end. Wagyu beef was on the menu to celebrate the return of the prodigal son. It was time for a great celebration because verse 24, the father declares, for my, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I mean, just imagine what it must have been like being one of the sinners in the crowd that day, listening to Jesus. Cancelled by your culture. Condemned. Shamed. With no hope of restoration. Lost. And yet here was Jesus saying that there is no depth that you could sink to. No sin that you could commit. That the Father, in His mercy, love, and grace, can't forgive, that if you come to your senses, if you turn from your sin, if you repent, he will welcome you as his child. And there will be the most incredible celebration in heaven just for you. No wonder those sinners gathered to hear Jesus that day. And that same invitation is held out today That no matter how long you've been running from God, no matter how much you've rebelled against him, no matter what depths of depravity you have sunk to, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that is beyond the reach of the love and mercy of God in Jesus Christ. God is still in the business of finding lost people. I wonder what your image of God is. Many people have the image of God as a harsh taskmaster who is constantly dissatisfied with their performance. We have this wonderful image of God in this parable of a father who longs to welcome lost children home. But there are two types of lost people, and they're both represented in this story, just as they were both represented in the crowd that day. If you look with me at verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So so for the first time, Jesus' listeners, they hear about the elder brother. And the first thing that strikes you about him is that he was clearly a hard worker, He was busy in the field, no doubt trying to salvage the family business after his younger brother had blown a huge hole in the budget. You can just imagine how the local townsfolk spoke to him and about him, no doubt with the utmost respect for the way that he had kept working hard for his father after his brother had abandoned them. How many times had he been commended for his loyalty while his younger brother was condemned. He didn't take his brother's lead and ask for his share of the inheritance. He didn't leave his father destitute. No, he was a good son. He was a loyal son, a hard-working son. He played by the rules. And as he wiped the sweat from his brow after another hard day's labor, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He discovers there's a huge party going on. And we read verse 26. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. The elder brother, he discovers what the party is all about. But rather than being delighted that his little brother is home, that he's safe, that he is restored to the family, we read verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. Isn't that tragic? That this brother's response was one of anger rather than joy. Why? Why did he respond like that? Well, because it wasn't fair, was it? His younger brother received something that he didn't deserve, that he hadn't earned. What he deserved was rejection, punishment, justice. But what he received was forgiveness, celebration, restoration. And the elder brother, he was in by the injustice of it all. That his younger brother, who, unlike him, hadn't played by the rules, was welcomed home. Not just welcomed, celebrated in the most extravagant of ways. I mean, Wagyu beef coming out for this guy. And if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we sympathize with the elder brother a bit more than we'd care to admit the injustice of it all. The fact that the younger brother didn't have to pay for what he'd done. He didn't have to earn his way back into the family. There was no penance that had to be achieved. It's not right. It's not fair that he should be restored with celebration and feasting. If anything, the guy who played by the rules should have been the one who was celebrated. That's the way our society works, isn't it? That's how cancel culture operates. If the court of public opinion judges someone to have done something wrong, then they need to be punished. No mercy, no grace, just punishment for those who deserve it. And that was exactly the attitude of the Pharisees, looking on disapprovingly at Jesus that day. As far as they were concerned, there was no way back for the canceled people hanging around Jesus no mercy for sinners. But that attitude, it came from a failure to understand their own lostness. You see, despite the elder brother's refusal to go in to the party, wonderfully, the father came out to meet him, something that would have been embarrassing for him to have to do. But the father loved both his sons. He wanted both of them to be at the party. But the elder brother, he wasn't having any of it, verse 29. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him as joyous as the reunion between the the younger brother and the father had been, this encounter is full of sadness. The elder brother clearly had no love for his father. He speaks to him with a total lack of love and respect. And he had no love for his brother either. He reels off all his faults and, and failings as he compares himself in a favorable light. But perhaps most tragically of all, despite living under the same roof as his father all his life, it's clear that the elder brother really didn't know him. He didn't know him like his younger brother did. He failed to appreciate the privileges he had as a son, that all that belonged to the father was his. His relationship to his father had been one of slavish obedience. He hadn't worked out of love for him. He didn't recognize the father's love. He didn't receive the father's acceptance. He thought he had to earn it, and he thought he had earned it. He thought he deserved a reward for his obedience that his father loved, that his father owed him. He was just like the religious leaders who were gathered there that day who thought that their obedience to the law, their moral record, the fact that they were good people, had earned them acceptance by God. And because they thought that acceptance by God was based on performance, that's why they looked down on the sinners that day. They condemned them for not living up to their standards. And they could not abide the idea that God could accept people like that. People who had failed to obey the law. People who weren't religious like them. And that's what religion is essentially. The belief that if I am a good person, I'll be accepted. That if I say the right things and do the right things, and abide by the moral norms of the moment, if I make sure I'm on the right side of history, then God will accept me. And if we believe that, then we will be very quick to compare ourselves favorably to people whose sin is more obvious than ours. Quick to condemn those who fail to live up to our standards. The problem is being good obeying so that God owes us, well, like the elder brother, like the Pharisees, that's just another way of being lost. The elder brother, he failed to see that. He lived towards his father as a slave, not as a son. And the tragic ending to this parable is that the elder brother ends up out in the cold while the younger brother is in enjoying the feast. Unlike his younger brother, the elder brother, he failed to come to his senses. He failed to recognize his need. And the challenge for those listening to Jesus that day, and the challenge for us, is this. Do we recognize our need? Do we recognize our unworthiness? Do we recognize that we have a heavenly Father who is ready to welcome His children home. Not because we deserve it, not because we can earn it, not based on how we've performed in the past week or month or year, but because of the Son who was willing to pay the ultimate price to seek and save the lost. You see, Jesus tells this story, it's right in the middle of his journey to Jerusalem. If you read Luke's whole account of his gospel from chapter 9 to chapter 19, we have this journey. To Jerusalem. And at the beginning of that journey, Jesus makes it very clear why he was going to Jerusalem. In chapter 9, he tells his followers that he is going there to die. He is the Son who came all the way from heaven to earth to find us. He went to die on the cross because that is the way that lost people could be found. He's the Son who lived a life of loving, loving, perfect obedience to his father. A son who was willing to give up his own life so that we could be welcomed into God's family. A son who was stripped of his robe and took our sin and our guilt so that we could be clothed with the robes of his perfect obedience. The message of Jesus' story is that no one is so lost that they cannot be found by the love of God in Jesus Christ. It's a message that says that there is hope in the pigsty. There is hope in the darkest moments of despair, and there is forgiveness for our rebellion. And it is to be found in Jesus Christ. It's a message for elder brothers and younger brothers that are welcome into the family of God, and a glorious celebration is waiting for anyone who comes home. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you are a God who welcomes lost children home. Lord, however far we think we might have fallen, there is no depth that we could fall to that your love cannot pick us up from. And Lord God, if we're here today and we think that we deserve your acceptance, that we can earn it, Lord, would you reveal to us just how far we fall short of that. And yet how gracious and loving you are that you offer a welcome home today. And as we come to this table to take bread and wine, would you remind us by your spirit of your grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. And would we be refreshed and renewed today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.